Hello everyone this is Ashish welcome back to our podcast today we are having Gurdash and Mangat with us a professional mixed martial arts fighter Gary i have few questions you grew up in canada yes so is that uh, the way that your parents moved over there and then you grew up over there or you were very young when you moved over there yeah my parents are first generation immigrants from india um so we moved mm-hmm. up to a small town uh which had about 5000 people there and i grew up there um i graduated in grade 12 and i then i moved up to vancouver but my entire childhood was in that small town of woodlands lake up north and uh mm-hmm. yeah basically from the started from the bottom basically like you know my parents didn't speak in english they speak um the native language of 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 canada so i basically was this young kid that was teaching my parents the ways of the western world the language and everything and just oh, okay. uh, young age and yeah um you got to speak hindi growing up or maybe punjabi growing up because i know that you're from sikh background yeah yeah so so i speak uh, punjabi and then my wife is hindu so i i i also uh, speak a bit of hindi also like i understand it enough but i wouldn't say uh, yeah. the most fluent in it though yeah <laughs> um that's good and i think that you have fought quite a some uh, quite a multiple times in india as well right you were fighting in sfl as well yeah um one of the first big shows that happened in india in 2012 i was on that at um igi stadium in their garden stadium which was they sold it out to 17000 people and that was only my second my second or third pro fight ever on that stage and mm-hmm. like all of bollywood was there Then I went back with another promotion from Bahrain and headlined one of the biggest fights in Mumbai where I moved up a weight class mm-hmm. to fight the guy. Then I went back again under SFL when they were doing the reality show on MTV and I won that show which was the last time I went to mm-hmm. India. And now I'm actually going back um again but this time under a commentating role. I'll be commentary I'll be commentating fights in New Delhi under um the Shroff family's MFN uh promotion Tiger Shroff, Jackie Shroff, um Aisha Shroff, mm-hmm. uh their MMA promotion out there. So I'll be out there commentating fights now for the next generation. Oh nice. When is the event when you're commentating? I believe it's July 1st. All right. Uh, when was the first time you went to India because I see a lot of second generation they barely touch their feet uh, in the country when was the first time you, did you used to visit all the time growing up as well or you yeah, professionally so, first time so before I ever found MMA the only time I would go is when my parents would take us to India and we had been about two three times but we only go into the villages and kind of stay in the villages so Punjab area mm-hmm. the Haryana area and stuff like that but I've yet to go back to um those places since I started MMA because almost every time since then I've gone by myself I haven't gone with my parents I can't remember the last time I went with my family to India they go on their own I go so for me it became like business and I always ended up in Delhi or Mumbai and never ended up in 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 like you know where my parents are from but that's definitely mm-hmm. overdue um and I know a lot of chatter goes around in the villages that you know who I've become and what I am now from that kid I was when I used to come when I was much younger so it's a completely different story going back now when I do then who I was when I was going before mhm so growing up i don't think that you had any martial art background the first time you got an experience to martial art when it was when you were 20 21 years old right when you went to 
uh, study accounting. You started a career in the professional domain. And uh, what I see the story going is that you, you saw a fight of Rich Franklin. Is that correct? And that's when you kind of decided to become a mixed martial artist. Rich Franklin, if I remember correctly, was a high school teacher, right? And that made you think that, okay, people from other domain are also participating over here, making a career as a fighter. How did it go? Yeah, so so um, the only kind of martial arts I tried was Taekwondo when I was a kid, but I sucked at it. So it wasn't like, I wasn't into it. I wasn't like into the martial arts. It was just something my parents signed me up for, for a little bit. I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't really like it. So I wouldn't say I really got any experience out of it. Um, I tried a little bit of wrestling. I, I was all right, but then when I wanted to kind of excel at it, the clubs wouldn't accept me because I was either too skinny before high school and then I hit my growth spurt and I, and I gained a lot of weight and I got asthma. So I, so both sides of it, I was never really seen as the elite athlete that people wanted to invest their time mm. into. Um, then when I moved up to Vancouver, I just, my plan was to become an accountant. That, like that was it. And then I happened to be at a sports bar where Rich Franklin was fighting on the UFC main event. And they were giving the background and that's where I was like, wait a second, this guy's a high school teacher. I thought these guys are raised from birth to be who they are. Like, you know, watching Karate Kid as, as a kid growing up. I'm like, I thought they take them mm-hmm. in the mountains. They know their path. They're like, you know, they're descendants of something. Um, and from there, that mm-hmm. kind of piqued my curiosity. And from there is what led me on the path that I did. And now Rich Franklin is actually part of one championship. He's one of the commentators. He's commentated a couple of my fights now. And it's kind of crazy how it's all full circle. Yeah, that must be surreal. So how did it really go? Because did you get a job first, started working, and then finally decided to go full-fledged in it did did it part-time how did it really proceed um for me my parents only thing well when i told my parents first of all they didn't believe that this is what i was going to do full-time i also didn't know that so but they said finish your school so i finished school the the day i handed in my last exam i literally looked at the people that i used to hang out with that school i'm like you're never going to see me around. <laughs> and, and and they still, we still like, you know, if I come across them, like I don't really see those people too much, but here and there, they, they've watched my journey since day one. And they're like, I still remember when you had it in that test and said that you would never come back to this stuff. Um, I never practiced accounting for one day. As soon as I handed it in, I finished it. I was pulling to MMA and I never turned back. Um, obviously I had to hold a lot of jobs on the side. I did almost everything you can think of to try to, to try to uh, pay for my training. I did door-to-door sales. I did telephone sales. I did, I used to sell natural gas door-to-door. I worked as a doorman. I was a bouncer at a nightclub. Um, what, oh, I used to work in a, a men's clothing store in the mall. Um, I did all of it. Uh, anything to really kind of pay for the training I had to do. I, I used to work at a gym, like a, a weightlifting gym. And I used to sleep in the gym. Uh, just so I can get extra hours and work security overnight and stuff like that. And so these are all the things I have to do, but I never practiced accounting one day. <laughs> Why not though? Because that has good money and you could have done that part-time along with accounting too, no? Yeah, it was just once I kind of dove into this MMA life, nothing seemed exciting enough for me. Like I never, like I sometimes go to the bank and I'll stand in the line and it'll be so quiet and I'll actually lose my mind. I'll be like, <laughs> I could have never, because I'm used to bells ringing, people hitting bags now, yelling, punching, coaches yelling. Like I'm, I'm all, I almost have PTSD where I need 
loud things happening around me all the time. If it gets too quiet, it messes with me. And especially going to a bank where it's very quiet and very chilled out. I go in an accounting office to do my taxes and I'm like, I could have never pictured myself sitting here hours on end. Like every time I go do my taxes, I'm like, I could have never pictured this. You know what? I'm glad uh, that that just might be a Punjabi thing because I have a friend who's Punjabi and you know Punjabi culture is so loud uh, they are never quiet right <laughs> that w- whenever there's like a silence that person just loses her mind like um, yeah I'm not comfortable when people are making noise that's good I can sleep when you're right, playing right. music but if it's too quiet it's not that comfortable that just might be that yeah, yeah but, it might be who knows yeah. But what do you think it is that just gravitated you towards fighting? Because it's it's something which comes with its own risk. Obviously, you are putting your body on the line. Uh, so you must have done a proper analysis because although you are not a professional accountant, but you are educated and uh, you must have thought about that properly as well, right? That's the thing. I didn't think about it properly. And that might have been the best thing that I did because I am somebody that overanalyzes everything. I need the perfect blueprint. I need the perfect plan. And this was the first time it was something in my heart or my gut that was like, let's just see where it goes. And I had everything against me at the start. I had, um, you know, even the relationship that I was in was against me. It was like, how, how's this ever gonna, how am I ever gonna tell my parents about this, that this is what you do now. Nobody will accept it. You have no background. You have no skill for this. You have no talent there's you you're not an athletic person so these are all the things even the people that i was hanging out with i was like the weakest one of that group they were they were the bigger ones they're the ones whenever we go to the gym i'm trying to strive to become them Mm -hmm. and then i think it was just a culmination of things where i was like it almost felt like that life i was living in my hometown where i was just kind of a follower i just kind of immigrated that life into the big city and now i'm just going to be stuck in that same pattern again and something inside of me was like i need to get out of this and something about being in the big city in Vancouver inspired me because everything that I was seeing, I'd only seen on TV, whether it was the hockey arena, where the football games are, we had only seen in our small town on TV. And now seeing these places right in front of me, seeing that there's a Hollywood movie being filmed down the street, they're filming this over there, this actor lives here, this singer coming here. It was just like, whoa, like this is, for a small town kid, it was a lot. And I'm like, I want to become something in this. And fighting, I don't know what it was. I think it was that I, I looked into MMA and I was like, I had been raised to believe that being sick, being Punjabi was where we're warrior people. And yet I was watching MMA and I was seeing nobody like myself. The closest thing I was seeing was a Brazilian, like somebody that kind of looked like me, uh, you know, like, like, so like Vitor Belfort was like the closest thing I had seen. And I was like, why do we say all this? And yet there's nobody at the place where you're supposed to prove it and something like this. I'm like, maybe I can be that guy. I don't know what made me think I could be that guy, but I'm like, I'm going to be that guy. And from there was one day at a time. And that one day at a time, I also realized how hard this life really was, like how hard this for was. And it was something about not thinking too long term about it because you couldn't. You had to think of it one training session at a time, one day at a time. Because if you thought about it too long term, it would easily make you give up. Because I would go home and watch TV and I'd see these fighters at the highest place. So I'm like, I'm never going to get there. So I took it as one day at a time. And I had no blueprint. I just said, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go into this without overthinking it. 
and not overthinking is probably the best thing I could have done because have I had I actually sat down and there was a hundred reasons not to do it and probably 0.5 of a reason to actually do this and I would have probably never began it and I'm glad it's the first time in my life I ever did that. Your decision to become a mixed martial art fighter, uh, could it be uh, related to you moving to a big city and uh, thinking that I don't want a normal life. I want something bigger for my life. And for that, I'm going to pick something that I'm very passionate about. And that was MMA for you. And you would do everything that you could in that field because you just did not want it to settle for a normal life. Yeah. For me, I still don't, like, obviously MMA is my passion, but I wouldn't say MMA or fighting was my passion ever. It was the idea of becoming something bigger than myself, and MMA just happened to be in that room at that time in front of me, and I was like, I'm going to use this platform. Then had I been watching some movie and been inspired, who knows, maybe I would have done acting classes <laughs> if I want to be a singer. I'm like, I don't know, right? But it happened to be mixed martial arts in that moment. And I'm like, this is my passion is to represent my people, represent myself and see what I can become. And that still sticks to this, to this, to that, to this day. Um, it, that's really what my passion is. Like my passion was always just to represent a higher part of myself. And MMA was the thing that has happened to be in the way. I wouldn't say like, I always, Joyce St. Pierre says this, and I've had these talks with him about it. Fighting is the scariest thing that I personally do. I know there's other things, people go to war and stuff, but for myself, it is the scariest thing. If there's one day I can skip, is fighting. As much as I love the training, I love the families that I've created around the world, fighter, like, you know, the fight brotherhood, the opportunity to test myself. But the actual fight day is the scariest day, is the most mentally anxious day of my life always and the lead up to it is just as anxious so as far as the fighting goes if i could skip that day i would love to i just love every other aspect of it but obviously you have to get in there and do it and when you come out the other end of it it's the best feeling in the world it's the greatest high you can have is victory right but isn't that why you really do it because it's the scariest moment and because it is scariest the highest the highest after that because that is the adrenaline rush that you are ultimately looking for, right? That is what you're saying. You don't like quiet places. You're looking for the ultimate high. And that might be the mentality of a lot of fighters who are in it. Because I've even, uh, uh, I remember Mike Tyson saying that uh, I'm super scared while I'm walking to the ring. Uh, ultimately, he ends up with when I'm in that ring, I'm a god. So t yeah. talk me through that. How do you make that walk? And because this is the ultimate level of controlling pressure, uh, dealing with a pressurized situation, dealing with your fears, your insecurity. And also like those words starts popping into your head, like all those people who said that you cannot do it. You're not good enough. You have this many limitations. You have to constantly fight those fights before you actually get to the fight. And most people are defeated before they got to that fight. They look at the fighter in front of them and they see the confidence on, in his high eyes or her eyes. And they think that they don't have those insecurities. Both at the same thing. So talk me through that fight, that mentality fight. Yeah, the, the mental side of this is the hardest part of it. The physical part... Like we always say, it's 90% mental, 10% physical. 
you can do all the right training, you can do everything to the point, but if you show up right before you walk out for your fight and you mentally check out the fear and the anxiety shuts your body down, uh, you're good as dead in that cage. And that's the thing, like like Mike Tyson used to say, he's like, when he'd be in the gym, he's a, he's a dream that his opponent could beat him, that his opponent was training harder and his opponent was going to embarrass him. And that's the same thing I think about. And that's what keeps me in the gym as long as it does and doing all the extra things I do outside of the gym. Um, living the lifestyle, eating right, doing the extra sessions, doing the extra work. It's a lot of it's out of fear. A lot of it's out of fear that the other guy might be doing more. Whether he's not or not, I, I have no idea, but it's the idea and you get into this kind of cycle of nonstop weeks on end. But what happens is when I get to the fight week, when I get, when I get on the plane and I land, there's never been a time when that's when the confidence kicks in. I'm like, I've done everything possible. There's not one thing. There's no doubt in my mind that, that I cut corners and I work on the mentality side a lot. Like, you know, um, um, like I work with a mindset coach, uh, his Instagram's fight mindset. And he's somebody that kind of, I used to, the anxiety and stuff used to freeze me up a lot. And that was one of the things that used to make everything just worse. And I still deal with that, but the stuff that we've worked on now, now I'm able to visualize so much better. I'm able to kind of harness a different energy. I'm able to take the anxiety and the, and the pressure and everything and harness the energy out of it. I've got, and it's techniques and lots of, uh, lots of outside of the gym work that I have to do with them. And these are things that have translated over well from being able to show up and just feel lighter, feel better, feel like better endurance because the anxiety isn't paralyzing me. It's not killing my endurance. Um, I'm not as tight. I'm fluid because I've rehearsed it so many times in my head and I've used these techniques, the way that I breathe, the way that I am, the way I visualize the night before the fight on the way to the arena, the weeks on end that I do after training with him. Um, so that's a huge thing that that mentality piece has been a huge, huge factor for me, but I always say it's a never ending, it's a never ending journey because there's always a new devil in your head that's trying to beat you down, that's trying to throw doubt in your mind, that's trying to tell you that you can't do this, you can't do that, and you have to figure out these things and you have to keep fighting those battles. It's not like I get into this thing where it never, it just stops, it never stops, but you have to keep battling those, those demons and you have to keep putting yourself in the fire, you have to keep being uncomfortable to become a better version of yourself always. Well, let's talk about the techniques a little bit because this fear that you're talking about as a fighter, every man or woman feels, feels these or faces these along the way at some point or the other. Kids who are preparing for examination, they face this fear, a person who is going for an interview, he also, she also faces the same fear. So when you talk about visualization, what do you really mean? Because I've seen fighters like Conor McGregor talk about not only visualizing the positives, but also the negatives, like what I will be doing when I'm stuck in a bad situation. And uh, visualization is quite common in all the sport domain. For example, you see racers visualizing the racetrack, how they are going to change gears, how they are going to cut corners. So talk me through that whole visualization process. 
so it depends on what you're visualizing um yeah so so like you know i'll be sitting in the sauna and i will visualize good and bad positions and how to get out of them you you put yourself in bad positions you work your way out the thing is like for anybody that watches mixed martial arts you know that a lot of the attacks and stuff nothing's random like you know there's technique to everything so there's sequences so these are the sequences you're running to your head the good and the bad positions the reversals and everything um as far as like the fight so one of the ways that i do it with my fight mindset coach is um will basically work backwards so when i used to visualize on my own which is not wrong the way i was doing it you visualize forward like you know if, if you're you're dreaming of your podcast getting bigger you're going to be like okay i set up my studio i do interviews i get so you're going forward you're always going later. but what he got me doing was the feeling that i would have when i achieve all those things so what we do is we work from the victory so I'm backstage. The first thing I always do is I call my family or call my wife. So we start from there and we work backwards. We, we, we rewind. So we rewind to my hand being raised, rewind the finishing sequence right before the finishing sequence to the walkout, to the change room, to the hotel before. I, so we do everything backwards. And then we're kind of like, we've already achieved what we're going to achieve. Now we're just putting in the pieces of um, the way it has to play out for me to feel that. So that's one of the things. Another thing that we do is um, I'll visualize the way that I do things as if you were different people in the arena. I will look at the fight through the commentator's eyes. I will look at the fight through my coach's eyes. I will look at the fight through somebody sitting in the nosebleeds. I will look at the fight. I'll look at the fight through somebody sitting in the lower bowl and how they would see me doing what I'm doing. Then I'll look at the fight through my own eyes. And I'll run all these sequences and I'll do these things. And these are very powerful things. Uh, they're very metaphysical, powerful things. Um, they've shown the work. It's, it's, it's like, you know, you're just seeing so many little details. I'll even do it. Like, you know, my parents don't come to the fights. They watch it on TV. I'll visualize how they're going to see me on the TV, what I'm going to be doing. So you run through all these little sequences and you kind of start becoming comfortable with the idea of what's going to happen. And so when you get in the cage, it doesn't feel so foreign to you. You're like, I remember seeing this white, white turf because that's what the one championship campus is. It's white. I remember seeing this cage. I remember the music. I remember this. I remember the crowd. And it kind of just, it just starts happening automatically to you because you've done it in your head so many times. And like, I'm not saying you don't feel anything. Like you don't feel butterflies. You're not nervous. It just kind of works in formation. John Jones used to say, it's okay to have butterflies as long, as long as they fly in formation. So you almost kind of, instead of letting the energy paralyze you, you're making it work for you. And this is what we practice day. It's just like training. You have to put in your reps. You got to do it. So we do it day on on day out. And uh, yeah, so we do a lot of like stuff like that, hypnosis stuff. We do a lot of stuff like, you know, breathing and seeing, taking my mind somewhere else, seeing it. it it's a lot of work. It's a lot of stuff that you do. But it, I think it's a huge aspect for me. I think it's one of the biggest, obviously the physical work and everything I got to do <laughs> is very big part of it, training with the best guys. But I think that mental side of it is that X factor where you believe in what you're doing and everything that you're doing. And you know it's leading you to wherever you're seeing it in your mind. Right. It's, it's quite common these days for fighters to take a sports psychologist as well. I think Mike Tyson was one of the first, right? Customato was all about 
the mentality. Customado oh. was almost like a hypnotist without Mike Tyson ever knowing he was a hypnotist. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, about that part where you're visualizing seeing yourself from an audience perspective, does that have something to do with a lot of times when we walk into the stage, we care about how other people see us. We do care. As a human, you cannot cut that out. So do you think that is the relation? I just want to know the reason behind why we would do that. Because I know a lot of things about visualization. This I've heard for the first time. That you're actually seeing yourself from a person, from a third person perspective. I'm, I'm sure it is. I don't know the exact reasoning behind it, but it's i find it very powerful to do though i find it almost more powerful to do it through everybody else's eyes than the eyes that i'm gonna see it um like you know because i've been in the nosebleed so i know how the fighters look like ants in the cage and i know what the view looks like from lower ball and to see i'm that guy in there it's almost like i'm not too sure what it is but i'm, I'm sure it's like you know the methods work <laughs> so right it's it powerful it's powerful if you can really so visualizing on its own is an exercise, right? Like sometimes when we do like meditation and stuff, your mind wanders and it does. Um, so it's an exercise you have to keep doing, right? Like I have to, like when I'm visualizing, everything's very detailed. Everything is very detailed. Mm -hmm. I know exactly what the white canvas of one championship looks like, where the one is, what the lights look like, what the crowd usually looks like from outside. So I, these are very like little things that just make it that more and more powerful. Even when we're doing the whole thing backwards, there's very fine details I have to have it. Like it's not just like, oh, I'm on the phone. Okay, now I'm here. No, it's like, I have to remember little things that really connect it all together. Such as, I know that my hands are, are gonna have a one championship glove on. I'm holding the phone, talking to my wife. I know what she looks like on the iPhone when I talk to her on FaceTime. Now I know what it feels like when the ref grabs my hand and. I know what it looks like, like, you know, very meticulous little details that play into your visualization. It's, it, you have to focus on the details when you're doing it. And that takes a lot of practice. It makes your mind hurt. It makes your head hurt for a while. Would need a significant amount of creativity as well, right? You will have to think and imagine how it is actually going to be. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And that all takes, but, but everybody has an imagination where we're definitely, it's definitely, uh, it's more than doable. Um, it's just a matter of how much you want to put into it. Like when, I'm, a, I'm a very, like I'm a very visual based person. Mm. So even when I'm meditating and stuff, like you know, I'm a big uh, Dragon Ball Z guy, and mm -hmm. I can visualize that energy around myself, just like Goku uh, mm. would, right? So it's like a very, like like a Vegeta used to do it, and I can visualize that, I can feel that. Um, one of the things that I do, one of the techniques is. Um, like, you know, obviously you feel a lot of anxiousness when you're about to walk out for a fight. And what I do is almost kind of harness it into a ball in my stomach and I pass it off to my opponent. I'll literally look at him and I'll, he doesn't know what the hell I'm doing, but it's literally what I do. And I'm like, this is yours. I don't need this. So it's like I'm harnessing this energy and I'm passing it off before I walk out. These are things I do two seconds before you see me live on TV. Um, these are things that are happening behind the stage. And yeah. Just one minor question. When you say backward, do you mean like, okay, now I'm backstage, backwards towards my hand being raised, backwards towards uh, the second round, backwards towards first round, towards walking into the cage? Do you really mean all the way back? Yeah. All right. That's... All the way back to, 
all the way back to like the hotel room before the band picks me up. Like that whole day, like that whole day, we run through the whole day because fight day, as much as you think it's just a fight, that whole day is a very long (laughs) process. Um, So we run through that whole day because that's always the hardest day to get through. That's the day when you can't sleep the night before after your wake up, you're nervous, you know what's coming, you're wondering if you did everything. So you're running through all those stages and knowing that on the other end of it, victory is there because you've already felt it, you already know what's coming. And now you just got to go through these stages. So when you're going through those stages, you're like, oh, I'm supposed to feel this feeling in my stomach. Oh, I'm supposed to feel these nerves. Oh, I'm supposed to feel this because you visualize it so many times. You almost understand it as it's normal. It's part of the process. It doesn't throw you off. Like it's not like, oh my God, I feel sick to my stomach. No, no, you're supposed to feel sick to your stomach. That's what makes you feel alive. Like you start, you start taking these little things and you start reversing them, translating them in different ways than you would before. Like, oh man, like, my stomach hurts. Oh, am I getting sick? Oh man, am I ready for tonight? No, no. My stomach hurts. Oh, I'm supposed to feel this. Okay. All right. Um, um, oh, here comes the nerves again. Okay. I'm supposed to feel this. Just breathe through it. Yeah. This is all part of the process. You're kind of like, you know, it's all part of it. You're making it positive. It's the same feeling. It's no different than the feelings before I started working with them. It's just now they're just interpreted in a different way where they work in my favor instead of against me. Wow, uh, it just started to make me feel like we always look at fighters as the toughest and the strongest people physically. But now it made me realize that fighters are actually the mentally toughest people. Does this whole mentality of you overcoming one of the biggest fear a person can feel, uh, does this make other things in your life relatively very simple? Because normal people will get anxiety attacks because uh, they had an argument with their boss or something right or 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 they uh they faced um, some financial crisis does other things make uh make uh, does does other things feel uh simpler now yes and no um for me yeah definitely like you know high pressure situation whether it's financial whether it's business or something like that i can handle them much better um I, I i can handle them much more cold-blooded like you know i can go zen because that's what you have to be in fighting you have to be almost kind of a zen mode you have to cut out all emotion and stuff like that because you've worked on your mentality so much but then there's other factors where um like you know where you have to be emotionally available i have a much tougher time where my anxiety and stuff does get triggered because i am just such a i can go so zen where that doesn't work as well whether it's in relationships like, you know, relationships you have with their family and stuff like that. Um, they need you to show more emotion, but you have always been taught not to. Because in fighting, when you get hit, you can't show that it's painful. When you're in training and you're around a coach, you can't show yeah. weakness. You can't show any of these things. So you get mm-hmm. into this mode where it's like you're hurt, but you can't show it. You When you're happy, you don't show too much. When you're so you, it's, so when I step out of that fighting world and I go back into my normal life, being around family, my wife and other people and stuff, um, that can actually spike my anxiety because, because I don't know how to function as well emotionally, which is kind of weird. Uh, but when it comes to fighting and like high pressure situations such as business or fighting or anything, I'm good. I can handle a lot. I, I can handle a lot of weight on my shoulders. So it's like a yes and no. It's, it's kind of a weird. It's kind of a weird situation. Uh, doesn't that for, make perfect for, 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 sense, though? 
because when the soldiers yeah. come back from war they have tough time dealing with the normal civilian life because they have dealt with yeah. so much pressurized situation and normal is different. yeah exactly so it takes me about sometimes over three weeks to kind of uh gradually go back into normal normalcy what we consider normalcy because i've been in training camp sometimes three months sometimes six months sometimes seven months then the whole pressure of the fight situation and the fight itself and now you're just in this completely different world um because i when i go because when i go into training camps i go into isolation i don't um my wife doesn't come with me it's just me by myself i live wow, in th- three months there. without your family is that how your training camp goes yeah 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 and the only people i'm around are my teammates and stuff so is that very common uh, for all fighters or is just the way that you do it it's not common for all it's not common for all fighters it's common for me it's something that's always worked for me and um, i know some fighters are really good with their families around i know some fighters need to get away i know some fighters need to just focus and some fighters can even take care of their kids while doing it and mm-hmm. all the kudos to them I have a formula that works for me and for me I need to be just disconnected and fully immersed in what I need to do. All right. So when you say training camp, I just want to talk about the last week because is the last week a little bit different uh, because that's when I would imagine the pressure starts building a little bit more. And how do you deal with it? The pressure is always building, um mm-hmm. but yeah, the last week is always the heaviest week but then after that um a- after that we get to calm it down after that it it gets um it's the part where you're going to mentally break the most because now your food is being cut down you're starting to lose weight um there's a lot of pressure on you you're thinking about the fight day you're thinking about that you know these final sessions are really kind of going to you think it's going to determine everything um and then when you get on the plane to wherever you're going to go you're hoping that when you get over there everything goes smooth. Um for me the last week of the fight or the last fight week is you're you're just hoping that you didn't cut any corners and now everything's kind of coming together. And it usually does. If you haven't mm-hmm. cut any corner, everything comes together. And that's and I most of the time I'm in Las Vegas finishing that up before I fly out to my fights and that's always a place where I'm kind of mentally good like mentally zen out. Yeah a lot of confidence like you said comes from you giving your best right that's i feel that a lot of people don't really understand and uh, because i interact with a lot of students who are working very hard to create a good career and what i see is that when they're at it they want something very big like i want to do a phd from mit or i want to become a scientist in indian space research organization when they have like giant goals and at the same time they are cutting corners or wasting time uh then i always feel that that is ultimately going to harm you mentally because when you are actually doing that when you are sitting for that examination going for that interview that will be in your mind even though you have hidden that from the rest of the world that will create a corner uh, that will create a problem of course it does it definitely does um Yeah, for for me like I've been in those situations before I came to one championship I'm like I don't want to feel that. And for me I just know the unsatisfactory feeling I go to bed with and I hate that feeling. I hate mm. that emptiness about it. And I rather do more than do less and it's always been my motto for. Hmm. 
Uh, you recently had an ACL tear. Is that correct? How far are you yeah. in the recovery phase? I'm about six months into it. They're saying until the end of the year, but I feel like I'll be back training by September. Um, this has been by far like, I was, yeah, I guess so. Um, it's been by far the most mentally hardest thing. Um, but it's been weird like it hasn't been physically hard but mentally just to know that everything's kind of moving forward and i'm kind of stuck here is does play on me during covid when that happened you knew the whole world had stopped so you didn't feel as you're like okay everyone's paused nothing's moving ahead but right now i'm stuck and everything else is moving ahead and i'm trying my best to like embrace it for like you know it's the most time i've got to spend with my family during my whole career probably uh i'm going with my wife on vacation and like you know we get to do all these things that i never would be doing um had i been in training campus so we do go on vacations but like you know like just getting to do it more but um it's a different mental process it's a lot of things that you got to battle on your own it's a lot of things where you got to keep yourself mentally strong um because i want to get back to what i was doing and I have to believe that I can do it, if not as well, but better. And when I hit the bag right now, it does mess with you. Like, you know, you're like, I used to be so fast. I used to be this. But I also have to believe I'll be even faster when I get back. I'll be this. So these are those mental things, right? These are those mental dialogues and narrations I have to give my mind that I will come back better, stronger, and you'll see the best version of me still after all this. Um, I have great inspiration such as George St. Pierre who have done it when I like I was at TriStar when he did that and just seeing how he did it and I've, I have a lot of teammates around me that have gone to this and come back so mm-hmm. is it just another one of those things I just the length of this is what messes with me um, and there's definitely been a lot of depressive depressive days that I've had to get myself through mm-hmm. and just um, especially like you know last year at this time I was getting ready to go for my fight that fight um, I was in my final weeks of training cap. I was in the best shape of my life. And now one year later, I'm kind of sitting here and it was just kind of a freak injury that happened. And had I made it to that fight, won that fight, I'd be top three in the world right now. And, but everything happens, right? So that, that's I, one of those Have things. you played that game Snake and Ladder? Yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of works like that, right? <laughs> You're kind of climbing exactly. up then a snake bites you. Yeah. But that's, but that's a dream in general. That's dreams in general where anybody thinks it's a straight road to the top. It never mm. is. Right. Um, everything is snake. Everything is snakes and matters. Um, and you just got to keep getting up and keep going again. And you just don't know what it's going to be that knocks you down next. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have to get back up again. Uh, you know, every time I have like a, a pea-sized injury compared to what you have had, like I would get an injury in the thumb. I cannot lift weight. I'll be like, oh, I cannot work out. And then I think, man, fighters do this so much. And you look at, for example, a good example over here would be Dominic Cruz, who broke his ACL and then nine months in, broke it again. And then he comes back uh, and then gets the title back. That was like one of the best moments I've ever seen in UFC where he holds the belt like this, walks out of the cage, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, then you look at Anderson Silva. He was at the prime of his career, breaks his foot. Uh, other example, Chris Weidman, very ironically, got the same thing. And recently, Conor McGregor. And I think that 
how how do they deal with it mentally because this is their entire life they are physical specimens and uh, they are athletes how would they deal with it because i'm i'm having tough time dealing with such a small fraction of it so of course uh, and i'm happy that you talked about it openly that yeah there are ups and downs and you face depression as well that's what i always say the heroes that you look up to faces the same emotions it's just that they deal with it differently so how would you deal with that like even even you would see teenagers talking about that i'm having depression i'm having anxiety and they have their fair share of toughness in their life but certainly some of your wisdom can help them out yeah um for depression wise like you know for me it's always been an ongoing battle with anxiety and stuff i've i've had it all my life basically without even knowing that i had it um but and it's like you know there's certain things that happen in your life such as for me it's my acl injury right now whether it's a loss in a fight whether it's not that trigger it more um for me it's kind of weird because Okay, if you're dealing with anxiety, I know what that feels like. It feels like you're paralyzed. It feels like you don't want to do anything. It feels like you have no energy. It feels like you're numb to the world. And that can go on days, months, and stuff like that. For me, it's that inner battle. Um, as soon as I feel it, and I usually feel it if I wake up, I got to get myself to a gym. I sometimes come down the stairs. I lie down on my couch for 30 minutes because my body doesn't want to do anything. And I have to fight that. Then I got to get in my car. I got to drive my car to the gym. Then I'll sit in the car for 20 minutes because I got to fight that in this. Like, you know, when I'm not feeling this stuff, I'm in and out. I can go get ready five minutes in the gym, to the gym, back, get a good workout. But when there's anxiety involved, it's so different. It feels like you're carrying a weight vest on you all day long. And you're just trying to, you're just trying to get relief wherever you can get it. Um, for me, it's just, you got to be your own best friend. And I know the hardest thing is that when you're going through that. And for me, meditation and just, I almost feel like there's two voices living in my head and one's always cheering me on and the other one's always beating me down. And it's almost like this battle. And you really got to listen to the one that's cheering you on, on those days, especially. Um, for me, just breathing has been the heart. It's been the best thing I can do. I'm not saying it's a relief. I'm not saying it cures it. It lets me move to the next step of whatever I'm trying to do. Do you mean do. complete breathing? Because a lot of time we panic breathe. Do you mean yeah, complete so, so, so Yeah, so one thing that I practice a lot is nasal breathing. I really, there's one camp, actually the last camp. The last camp, I concentrated the entire camp, three months of breathing through my nose. I never realized how much I breathe through my mouth. If you're dealing with anxiety and depression, just nasal breathing and learning how to do it, you'll notice how your body's, synchronize it it's a really weird thing um i didn't believe it at first until i started doing it and i know that's not the answer that everybody wants to hear like you know somebody wants to have some sort of miracle thing like i took this supplement and it helped me and that's i it, there isn't like i have yet to find it um for me it's just nasal breathing lets you meditate to build your mind for those times that when shit hits the fan um you're able to pour yourself through it because you've been working these reps in your mind by breathing and building your mind so when stuff doesn't feel right you have that bit of strength to push yourself through and it's an ongoing thing like like i've had serious breaking points and those that little glimpse of hope and whatever voice i have it's what's always got me through uh sometimes like you know i'm 
you're human at the end of the day, everything becomes very overwhelming. And when you're dealing with anxiety and depression already, the anxiety of the world added on with your anxiety can get so much worse. And you can't hear anything good coming out of it. And sometimes it's just that little tiny voice in your head that you got to pull through. And that's what I say to people. It's like, when I really look back at any situation that I was in, it was never as big as my mind created it to be. And that's what happens when you're dealing with these things. It makes it the world and it's never really the world that's, that mm-hmm. is any of these situations. So that's something you have to kind of teach yourself. You have to train yourself. And yeah, it, it's one of the hardest things to do, but it is one of the things that I can. And, and another thing is talking to somebody. Uh, I have spoken to therapists. I have gone to it and I never realized how beneficial it was. I never, I'm not somebody that was ever about talking about my feelings and talking about what I feel. I just never, it was never something that was ever taught to me. But now taking that approach, that's been a big factor for me also. And sometimes that's like, especially for men, especially for men and boys, um, talking to somebody is a huge, huge thing. And I used to be told all the time, I used to ignore them, like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. But I can vouch for that. It's a huge thing. Uh, right. Uh, I had a boy about a year ago who dealt with OCD and he worked with a psychiatrist for eight years and wow. he had serious serious problems that he cannot appear in any kind of competitive examination can't even qualify uh, graduate level examination and right now he's sitting in IC Bangalore doing his PhD it took a long nice. long time yeah uh, the, the that whole psychiatrist thing is very much vilified in the culture and especially what i see it is. in the uh, yeah uh, but it certainly helps a lot of people apart from the uh, talking to uh, someone who is professional in the domain uh, what do you think uh, is the value of support system uh, what i've seen is a lot of people dealing with anxiety and depression does look for someone else to help them calm them down at that point but i don't really know the answer that yeah it does drop down uh, the anxiety or the depression for the meanwhile but is it a good solution because a lot of times i've also heard people saying that ultimately the solution should come from within because that's a more permanent one what do you think about that right. yeah um you definitely so one of the things when you're talking to somebody I think about it as like an onion and you have to take layers off the onion. And in order to get to the source of yourself, you have to get past all of that. And those layers of the onion are trauma or things that you didn't even know that you put away into your body or certain emotions that you suppress and you didn't even know they were there. And for me, and I'm speaking from experience in life, um, and then you get to that voice that is you and you get to that. And that's where you can work on who you want to be, the strength of who you want to be that can get you through the future situations of anything like that. So that's why ultimately it comes down to you, but sometimes you need the support to get to that person that is you and society and situations and problems. They keep putting layers on and you forget sometimes who you are, what you truly are and the source of it. And that's what you have to do. You have to layer, you have to take time and take those layers off and it takes time and then eventually get to the source of who you are. And it's an ongoing process. And then you learn about what you are in. Ultimately, it is within yourself. 
यू आर डूइंग अ ग्रेट जॉब वेन इट कम्स टू मैनेजिंग योर सोशल मीडिया नाउ दैट इज़ अ वेरी इंपॉर्टेंट एस्पेक्ट फॉर एनी वन इन एनी काइंड ऑफ एस्पेक्टेटर्स पोर्ट दीज डेज यू हैव टू मैनेज योर सोशल मीडिया हाउ डू यू गो अबाउट दैट डू यू हैव सम पीपल हु मैनेज इट फॉर यू और डू यू डू इट योर सेल्फ I didn't know I was doing a good job managing my social media, but uh, uh, pretty decent, uh, yeah. No, nobody, nobody manages myself. It's all me. Anytime you get a response, it's me. Anything that gets posted, it's me. Um, mm-hmm. I just, for me, what it was was I remember when social media first started. Like I'm talking long time ago, like long, long time ago. I was always being laughed at by the older generation of fighters, and they were just like why do you need to promote like what do you need to do like why do you need to post stuff right oh my guys like you have to be your own brand you have to be your own person Now, i was saying this when i was 23 24 and these guys are like we're talking like guys that are trained with Anderson Silva like you know um some of the best like legendary guys have fought in pride in Japan and stuff and i'm telling this to these guys like the Nogueras and stuff like that. i'm telling that to like like old school guys who never did this stuff um and I'm like guys you got to build a brand you got to like how else are people ever going to know when you're fight or anything like that and for me that's just what it was it was just part of that and um I feel like at the start or actually even maybe 4 or 5 years ago I used to be really about it now I've kind of pulled back a bit like I of course I enjoy posting I do a lot of stories and stuff like that but as far as posts and stuff like that I'm not as big about it and I just kind of have fun with it um I just kind of manage it the way that I want to manage it. I find what they I enjoy because for me I visualize everything like a movie. So even when I'm visualizing I put a soundtrack behind it. I listen to so many different types of music. Like every type of music. And you give me a moment and I'll put a soundtrack to it. It's just like this weird talent I have. And now like you know making reels and stories and stuff, I get to kind of use my artistic side and kind of do that. and that's kind of what i do it for it's almost kind of like fun to me it's not something i put a lot of thought into not something i sit around and i brainstorm and i put it on a board and have a strategy around it. it's none of that stuff i just sometimes i just mm-hmm. listen to music i'm like oh this would go nice with this i want to capture this and yeah people enjoy it they enjoy it i just like to tell a story and whatever way i can tell it um nice. it's almost like you know that's what that's what social media is right it's a platform for you to kind of create your own little world for people to see and um that's kind of what i use it for exactly like you know i'm not a movie director or anything but i get these little moments i get to just put soundtracks and have fun with it and like i'm going on a trip as a tomorrow and you'll just see like you know movie-esque kind of stuff i like to do and i'll just do it on the fly and it's fine right i've seen i've seen some of the recent posts that you've made it was i don't know really where it was but it looked like a kind it was of columbia it was probably Yeah yeah I went to Colombia last week and it's probably that stuff. <laughs> like yeah. Right but it is yeah extremely important because what I feel is the value of a fighter right now is highly decided by the social media presence. I think that even uh, big promotions uh they take fighters or sign fighters based on their following right. That is why I've seen a lot of promotions trying to get indian fighters because they want to tap into that uh, billion people market and uh, of course yeah. ultimately yeah it is a number game for them as well right it's a number game for everything it's it's a numbers game for everything you like numbers like we live in 
a world where, yeah, followers is currency. I say it all the time to people. Mm -hmm. um, it can be a sad world because people become too obsessed over it, but it is a currency in, in itself. Right. But when you say like you want to create a like you said that everyone has to be a brand in himself or herself. That is a very valuable point over here. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you look at your career, you are kind of an individual contractor or freelancer. You get a contract that's, of certain amount exactly of fight, but ultimately, do you have a vision like I should proceed like this or you do it randomly? No, for me, it's just... For me, I've never been able to fake anything or put on like kind of a persona. I've just been happy that... Like obviously when the Conor McGregor era was going on, right? Everybody wanted to be that, right? Mm. Everybody, but then mm. you could see the fakeness through everybody. You could see who was, who this could actually be and who everybody. And that was one of those times where like, you know, I was managed by Paradigm at that time and I was part of that whole thing. And um, that was where I was like, okay, I still got to remain like myself. And then Khabib came along and it seemed like the good guys we're back to it like you didn't have to be that guy you could be just a good person representing your people a good man at heart and just be that um and i just kind of stuck to that my goal was always to inspire and motivate um anybody that came across my profile anybody that came across me and saw my story that was always my goal and mm -hmm. my goal was always to leave little pieces of myself wherever I go, that may be something, whether I talk about my anxiety and depression, whether you find out that I was an accountant that decided to turn to MMA, whether you find out that I was an Indian kid who came up exactly like you, whose parents told them, like, you know, he should get a nine to five blue collar job. And I chose, chose not to go that way. Um, whether it's that kid that got picked on in school and was told he wouldn't become anything, whatever you want to, I'm just trying to I'm trying not to hide it. I'm just trying to, it's, but it's me. It's not me faking anything. It's just who I am and what I am and the pieces of me. And um, now, now you see me like, you know, like, you know, the people that I've met, the people I've come across, I've only dreamt of meeting these people at one point. And, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of the fighters I've met, a lot of the celebrities I've met, people that I can call friends now, places I've visited in the world. These were all just dreams and just showing you that I kind of stuck to this. You could, the thing is, you can go to my very first post on my Instagram. Like, I'm, I don't delete anything. You can go to the very first one from this kid that was at TriStar in Montreal is when I started my Instagram and just see the evolution, just see as it happens, see when I met my wife, see when I got married. I left it all out there. It's all there. And I guess that's my brand. My brand was just me mm -hmm. living, really. <laughs> Right. And especially when you look at, uh, I see you have mentioned Justin Pierre multiple times, one of the best who has ever done it. Fairly stoic, very respectable. He did what he did and he was the best at it. Uh, when you mentioned Khabib mm -hmm. and maybe you can also mention, obviously, Anderson Silva, Demetrius Johnson. You yeah. don't really need to put on a sunglass and just talk shit to get the attention. I feel as that they get... Um, the random crowd a lot people who are not even interested uh, in MMA they're not even interested but they'll buy ticket because of these yeah. people who market and they have to be respected as well like we all know that Kobe Covington is not that guy we have seen what guy he was and he is right now the guy that he is because he just wants to sell tickets but he is bringing yeah. eyes 
and uh, for example Nate Diaz is has always been the guy that he is but he's one of the biggest deal right now because of what Conor McGregor did or a very good example would be we also know that Chael Sonnen is faking most of the time uh, even right now I think he's picking a fight with um, Huberman from Huberman's lab for some reason yeah. he's a podcaster now but he sat over there in a post fight interview saying that i did not know if you tap you lose the fight and not the round he's a professional mma fighter right Th- that is what he said obviously that is not what he really is but look what he did for anderson silva look what he did for uh, all the, all the people vandale silva that he fought so so he brings eyes to people who are stoic so they have to respect it as well but i think ultimately the goats uh they have always been respectable uh the last thing that i wanted to ask is that what word do you have for young athletes who are trying to get or young young people who are trying to get into the domain of mixed martial arts they are just starting over right now they may be looking for a gym they're getting started for a long long career do you have any words for that yeah so it all depends on okay so I've had, so I had this happen just actually a couple of days ago and I have this happen a lot. I always have people come up to me and ask um, whether they should start MMA or not. And right off the bat, I think that's the wrong question. If you're already asking me, who is nobody to them, You've already not, like, I, I, I can only speak for myself. I never asked anybody. I'm just like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Then the second question is, if you don't mind me asking, uh, how much do you make a fight? So now you're interested in the money. And I tell them right away, there's no money in this. Yeah, it takes a long time to get to the money. And when you do get to the money, you've spent so much on training and stuff, you're recovering for a lot of the time. Um, so I always say, if you're doing it for the money, the girls, the fame, any of that, you're going to hit a roadblock so quick because there's so many other ways to do all three of those things without ever having men sweat on you while you're training. Trust me, if that's what it is, that's not the way to go, man. And so if you're just starting like just for fun, like, you know, you don't have aspirations to be like, you know, gradually one day, I always say find a jiu-jitsu gym. I think jiu-jitsu is one of the best philosophical martial arts out there the things that you will learn about yourself and the things they also takes you out of your comfort zone it's weird for you to lay on your back or somebody between your legs because we've never done that right but then it just becomes normal after a while you're just like this is a martial art it becomes very uncomfortable to have somebody laying on you or you laying on somebody and these are like this weird little comfort uncomfortable barriers especially if you've never done anything like this you'll realize real quick how uncomfortable it is. And then it just becomes normal. Like, you don't even think about it. Um, so I always say jiu-jitsu is one of those great things. Also, for kids, jiu-jitsu is good because there isn't a lot of head trauma or anything involved. You know, like boxing, kickboxing, you're trying to hit each other in the head. Where jiu-jitsu, it's a lot more, they call it the gentle art, but it's deadly. Um, but the chances of you getting head trauma is very less, especially if you're a young age. Now, if you actually want to do this for a career, that's where those questions come in. You have to have a vision of what you want that will carry you through. For myself, my vision was to represent my people, to represent a higher part of myself, 
to represent something that I didn't think I could achieve, but I will figure it out one day at a time. That vision was made in 2007. We're now in 2023 and that vision has never changed. It just, I've just taken it to higher levels. And on the days when I had no money, I was completely broke. I had, whether I lost a fight, whether I couldn't get a fight, whether I couldn't even pay for a bus ticket or a meal, that's the vision that made me pick up my bags and say, try one more day, try one more day, try one more day. If it was about the money, I would have walked away. If it was about the girls, I would have walked away. If it was about the fame, I would have walked away. All three of those things would have never kept me around. It was the idea that I was trying to become something bigger than myself. And these were the hurdles that I had to get through that kept me around as long as I did. Like you said, I've had a long career. There's a reason I have. Um, there's a reason I haven't quit it yet. Um, because I've, my vision has just been strong. That's kept me around. Have their, like Life has evolved. I'm married now. When I was there, I was single. I was a 23-year-old kid. I was probably had $100 to my name, but it was I was the happiest kid with $100 to be able to eat. Now $100 ain't going to do it. I have a family, I have a home, I have a business, I have people I got to take care of. It's a much different thing, but the vision never changed. Just the levels and the evolution of life just changed. And that's what I say to people. Mm -hmm. Like um, almost everybody I began with are now gone. They're either married, they're real estate agents. They just realized they weren't meant for it. They just, they found something that wasn't going to keep them around. They had to like, you know, when I was 22, I thought at least by 28, 29, I was going to have a reality check. Be like, okay, time to stop, grow up, get married and move on. Dude, I'm 35 and I'm still going. And mm -hmm. I have a wife that's supportive of it. I'm still living that life. I'm still living the way that I ever wanted to live. I still go to Vegas and go train there. I still go to Thailand and train there. I got to keep, I kept this life going, but my vision stayed the same, which was to inspire, motivate, uh, create a better part of myself every single day and test myself to see where I can take this whole idea I started with as a young kid when I was 22 of being that guy. And that's what it is. So if you're going to do this, you got to know your vision and you got to know whether you, if it's enough to carry you through, I'm telling you, if you're doing it for all those other things, I just said, especially the money, I always say, especially the money, you will not stick around. I promise you that. There is no money in MMA for a long, for Gary, you may see the Conor McGregor's, you may see the certain people, but I'm telling you that is, they are anomalies. This is why, this is why you were saying you got to work on your brand. You got to do that. You got to do a lot of different things to establish yourself as something where it's worth investing in you, where you can make it a career. It's not going to be just being in the gym fighting. You have to do things. You have to create relationships. You have to do things. It's, it's a business and you have to treat it as such. You are the business. You are the image of the business you're creating. That's also one of the best parts about it for me. I, it's not a product I'm marketing. I'm marketing myself. I am the product. When I want to upgrade myself like my phone, I go in the gym and I upgrade my skills. When I want to upgrade to the next version of myself, I go in the gym and I work on different parts of myself. It's just like when you upgrade your iPhone or anything, that you're upgrading to the next version. It's the same thing here, except I get to do it to myself. I so need to a, upgrade the product at all times. It's a very weird dance of balance, right? You have to balance a lot of different things to create a yeah. good living doing what you love to do. How are you going about that? How are you making a business around yourself? How are you managing different things? I know that you are also a trader, uh, but what other things are you doing? Um, yeah, so just doing stuff like, you know, the commentary stuff. Um, I, I, 
also work. So I wouldn't say I fully work, but I, so me and my wife, we, we have two high risk youths that live with us. So we have two kids that are from the system and they're basically our kids and we take care of them 24 seven. They're part of our family. Like they are our family. And that is something that takes up our full time. And so I'm training, taking care of two kids and, um, just kind of living my life, just living the way that I want to live and everything seems to work. Mm -hmm. So when, so, so when I was 22, it was nobody, it was just me. I just no foundation around me. It was just me taking care of myself. It's a much different thing now. What is transition of, um, yeah, no, 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 please, please go ahead. It's a transition. It's, 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 it's the transition from boy to a man is this, Hmm. right? You got to be able to, you got to be able to handle these things and still become the person you're supposed to become. You asked for my hustle. I gave you my heart. What do you mean by that? That's my favorite Kobe Bryant quote. And Hmm. it's, it's something that I've lived by for a long time. It's so, like I said, my, my dream was always to represent my people. Right. It was always to represent something bigger than myself. So all I can do is give my hustle. I can, you, you may not see it because I'm in the gym. You're not there with me. You're not, but just know that you asked for my hustle to be able to represent, but I gave you my heart. I gave all of me to my people, to everybody I'm representing. I put my heart into this because I know it brings joy to so many people when I achieve victories, not just about me, whether it's my parents, whether it's my wife, whether it's all of India, whether it's all of, Whoever has supported me. So I've given you my heart in this whole process. And I promise you every time I'm training that you don't have to worry about it. You asked for just my hustle, but I put my heart into this entire thing. And it's one of my favorite Kobe Bryant quotes. That's always forever going to be my favorite. I think your ultimate passion is representing your community because all that you are doing is mainly guided by that. Do you think that it has some relation with you growing up in Canada feeling a little bit underrepresented? And uh, you want to, that is why I take charge in your hand and represent that whole community. Is that what you want to do? I feel like, yeah, 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 it is. Like, honestly, the first person of my descent that I saw on TV was Russell Peters. (laughs) And he's a good friend of mine now. And he's a huge part of my success. He's a huge part of me being able to train that way I do in Vegas and stuff like that because of him. And he was the guy that I'm like, whoa, there's an Indian guy on TV. And he wasn't even a fighter, um, but he was the first representation. So he's, I've always seen him, like me and him always have this thing where like, you know, all the arenas that he performs in over, overseas, it's always my goal to go perform in them too. Whether it's Kuala Lumpur, I fought there. He's done plenty of shows there or wherever he's gone. And he was a huge inspiration for me. He was the representation. And when it came to fighting, like I said, it was like, we always talk about, being a strong warrior religion, being a strong warrior race of people. And I think MMA is the ultimate proving ground and we weren't seeing it, but now this floodgate has opened where I'm going to India to commentate the next generation of fighters. There's Indian fighters all over the world now. I remember when I started, there was nobody, not a single one. It was just me, maybe there was another one. Um, So it's kind of weird because I'm kind of like the pioneer of the whole scene for Indian and I'm still active. And I remember when I went to India for the first SFL in 2012, it was so weird to me because they sold it out to 18,000 people, but nobody knew what they were coming to watch. And then when I was doing the interviews after, 
everybody's like, so how did you guys plan who was going to win? Thinking that it was a pro wrestling <laughs> fight that they had just won. I'm like, no, that shit was real, dude. Like that, that was real. Because they had Bobby Lashley as the main event because Bobby Lashley did MMA for a bit. And he was the main event on it. And so I'm like, from what I started off at, as explaining what this sport was to what it is now to us even knowing the arts in it, to India knowing what jiu-jitsu is, kickboxing and boxing, the separation of that to what MMA is, to what UFC is, to what one championship is. It's a huge evolution in itself and it's been pretty crazy to be part of it because I was there when nobody knew what this was. Hmm. I'm sorry I said the last question and I keep going. You're a very interesting yeah. personality. <laughs> <laughs> I have... I, I have one last question after this. I want to ask you uh, that you have a very interesting story and looks like you want to put that story in front of the world. What is your plan to put that story in front of the world? How are you going to do it? That full story of Gurdarshan Mangat. I don't know. Like, like, you know, like I've had documentary crews. I've had different little smaller documentaries. But I think right now what we're kind of just doing is just capturing whatever we are and then when this whole story is all written whenever it's going to be finished then we'll see what it becomes hmm. right it's kind of like the it's kind of like the Yeezus documentary the Kanye documentary they were just recording right they didn't know what it was going to become this and then he just happened to be there recording with his camera to one of the one of the biggest artists of all time and he captured right. like those sort and if you watch the McGregor Forever right now on Netflix, they happen to capture so much cool footage since um, since well, since Aldo days and everything. And mm -hmm. they didn't know where it was going to end up. They didn't know what it was going to become. They didn't know that Conor was going to lose his next three fights or the ankle break or anything, but they were there for all of it. And that's what created the story. So we're just capturing whatever we can, wherever, like, you know, this ACL journey right now, like this, it's never part of the plan, but it's part of the journey now, right? It's part of this this chapter that i'm in right now trying to come back from this and then we'll see then we'll see we're just trying to for me social media is where i get to kind of tell the story in pieces it's why i put my acl recovery little stages out there so people can see it progressing and you're kind of watching this little one minute movies going along as it's going and um that's all i can do for now right you would have pl plenty of time to tell your story and True, that the story is still being written. Uh, when you said Conor McGregor documentary, are you referring to the recent four-episode documentary released on Conor McGregor on Netflix? Yeah, the new one, yeah. yeah. Did you watch it full? Yeah, yeah, I watched it, yeah. What did you think of it? Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Um, see, see, that's what I'm talking about. Like, They just happened to be recording this for all those years. I, I thought it was just going to be from uh, the Dustin Poirier fight. But they have been recording for since the Mayweather Khabib and all that. And having all that, it really humanizes them. And I've got to talk to Connor a few times. And, like, you know, like, I've been at the after parties and stuff. We used to be managed by the same guys. And um, I can see who he is as a person to the people that he's surrounded by. And it's cool that it humanizes them. And especially, like, I don't know if you watched it. Did you watch it? I, I watched it yesterday, yeah. Yeah, so so that episode where the first episode where he's uh, uh, doing the community service and he's cleaning, mm -hmm. we never got to see any of that, right? So that really humanizes him. And like you know, this guy had to pay his dues and stuff. Um, he's definitely a different personality. He definitely is, right? And um, I really liked it. I liked the whole behind the scenes, and I love those kind of things. That's why I love all the documentary writers, the Dream Team one, the one where 
uh, the Olympic basketball team. I love those kind of things because mm-hmm. there's so much stuff. Sometimes I wish there was a camera around all the time because there's so much stuff that happened behind the scenes that I feel like needs to be captured. But it's cool that some people have those kind of resources to be able to capture those moments. It's really cool. Right. A lot of people started vilifying Conor McGregor way too much. And like you said, that scene right after he lost the fight from Khabib and there was a whole hustle situation where people were throwing hands in the stage after he has just uh, lost the fight. I was there for that. What? I I was there for that. Oh, you were there? I was there for that. Well, what was was it like being in the audience? I was saying to people leading up to the fight, like I've been there for Conor's last five fights um oh. i was there for the mayweather one i was there for all of them all both diaz fights because i because i was with paradigm at that time and that was the first time from the day i landed so i landed on the monday it felt different the energy like the diaz trilogy the diaz fights the energy was fun right people were swearing at each other people are drinking like you know oh diaz this connor this and it was fun like you know there wasn't like it didn't feel this was like, wild, right? Heavy. There was some poison over this there. Secret, you, you could feel it. It felt really heavy. It felt heavy. You knew something was building up. You knew stuff had been... Um, they had overstepped their boundaries. And something was going to happen. And what happened that day was exact. Like, it was crazy. Even if you walked out of the arena, there was fights happening outside. People were being knocked out outside. It was... It, it, it was a bad look. It was crazy. It was scary at a point. A guy who is very infamous for making wrong predictions is Brendan Shaw. But I remember him saying before that fight that I would not go to that fight because something is going to happen. I remember him saying that. Brendan Shaw wasn't at that fight? I don't think so because I remember him saying... No, it was Mayweather. Okay, yeah. At the Mayweather fight, we sat next to each other. Because I'm like, yeah. I thought he was at that fight. Yeah, yeah, I was sitting next to him at the Mayweather-McGregor one. Hmm. Right. Uh, so... Uh, finally, I want to know, like, what's next for you? What are you planning? Next thing is just to get back to training, recover this, get through it. I'm trying to do everything I can to get myself, get this knee strong. It's feeling stronger and stronger every day. And just, um, just kind of get back to it right now. Like it feels so far away, but I'm trying to get through it. Like, you know, just last month, the step, the goal was to walk by myself again. Next goal is start running, which is, it feels weird. Like, you know, last year at this time I was running sprints, I was fighting, kicking, punching, grappling, and now the goal is to start jogging. Like, it blows my mind when I really think about it, but I try not to uh, think about it too much. But yeah, that's the next step. Start running and then maybe I can start training. We got to test it out. Got to make sure everything's stable because we don't want it to recare again. And I get sent back to training too quick and it has isn't fully ready. So it's like a weird kind of, you have to be patient, but I want to rush it, but I have to be patient at the same time. <laughs> right. You think you're going to fight by the end of this year? I believe I will. <laughs> doctors don't think I will. I believe I will, but doctors are always going to try to put extra on it, right? Because they got to be safe. So I I believe I will. Well, after talking to you for over an hour, first of all, you are very real. You say what you are. You talk very well, which is which is not very uh, very all like it is not found all the time amongst fighters. Fighters are fighters; they don't really right. talk that well uh, all the time. But you talk very well, and uh, talking to you, you have made me a fan. I'm definitely going to be watching your next fight. I watched 
a lot of your fights uh, in the last couple of days after you said yes for the podcast and uh, yeah you really fight very well you're a very exciting fighter and uh, especially after knowing your st- uh, story i'm definitely cheering for you for your next fight whenever it might be and you've Thank got you. one more fan Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, you keep it up too. I, I like the channel. I like what you're building. Keep it up. Consistency. Thank you so much. Thank you for being over here and I would love to have you back over here. Let me know before you fight, after you fight, whenever you can make some time to be over here. You are most welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you everyone. That was our podcast. We are going to end it over here. We'll be over here every week. I have a second podcast going by the name of Momentum in the language of Hindi. If you prefer that, link will be down in the description box. I'll see all of you in the next one. Till then. Bye. Thank you, Gary. That's where we got it. Awesome. Was Thank you. talking to you. Yes, sir. Likewise. Amazing journey. Uh you keep it up and uh Thank you. I'll be waiting for your next fight.